Hi, welcome to the Fast Life with Diabetes podcast. My name is Lucy Fisher. On this podcast, we'll discuss everything related to intermittent fasting and type 1 and type 2 diabetes. We'll share tips and tricks, and we'll reveal some of the challenges that we've all faced as we go through this journey. We'll also have some fascinating guests that will share their stories. Thanks so much for joining. It's going to be a great show. Also, before we get started, I just want to remind you that I am not a doctor. Before beginning an intermittent fasting protocol or making changes to your medication, I highly recommend that you speak to your doctor. Hi everyone, thank you so much for joining today. Today we have on Andrew Oppenhusen, and he lives in Texas. He's 42 years old, and when he was 17 years old, he was diagnosed with diabetes. Originally, they thought he had type 1, and they put him on insulin, and so he dealt with being on insulin as a type 2 diabetic for many years, and he had always struggled with his weight, and he decided at a certain point to lose the weight. He was able to do that successfully and got off the insulin, and then he regained the weight and went back on insulin, but at that point, he had realized that he was actually type 2, not type 1. And he was able to then find fasting and change his diet to lower carb and has been on the path to reversing his type 2 diabetes. He's almost there. He's lost a tremendous amount of weight. He is also struggling with an MS diagnosis. And he just has such a positive can-do attitude. I found myself becoming very emotional in this interview, which is pretty rare for me, but his story is that powerful. I really hope you enjoy this episode. I was so honored to speak to Andrew and I was so thankful that he was able to tell his story to me and I think you're really gonna get a lot out of it. Hi, Andrew. I'm so happy to speak to you today. How are you? Oh, not too bad. How are y'all? Good, good. I can't wait for people to hear your story, but before we launch into it, maybe you can just give us a little bit of background about yourself. Basically, I uh, grew up in a small town in uh, Grant, Michigan. I was born there, grew up in family uh, excavating company. And uh, my, grand, my grandma and my dad and my uncle, they all have di- had diabetes and stuff like that. Uh, and then so pretty much uh, dealt with that and seen them deal with it growing up and whatnot. Just, I don't know, I'm kind of old school, hard worker. Uh, and that's what I was used to and stuff like that. And just, just a basic, uh, you know, grew up in the country. I'm just, uh, just normal, normal dude. And what, what age range are you approximately? You don't have to tell me your exact age, but. Oh, I'm, I'm 42. Hey, we're the same age. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> 80s um, baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And what part of the country do you live in now? Uh, I'm in uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area in Texas. Okay, gotcha. And so maybe we can walk through a little bit about uh, your diabetes history. You said it runs in your family. Who who in your family has has diabetes or had diabetes? My my dad did uh, before he passed away. Uh, my grandmother, same thing. She had it. Um, and then my uh, my dad's younger brother, my uncle, had it as well or has it, has it as well. And it's all type two? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Yeah. So it runs in the family. And 
so tell me about what happened with you when you found out you had it and, and just the whole, maybe you can tell me the whole story around it. Hey, basically, uh, you know, I was probably about 17 uh, when they diagnosed me and stuff like that. Um, it was a, I was getting up all the time in the middle of the night and stuff and drinking and drinking and drinking and having to use the restroom all the time and whatnot. And my dad had heard me doing that a couple of nights in a row because uh, I was still living with mom and dad. And uh, he's like, we, we got to get you into the doctor. And uh, sure enough, my A1C and my fasting blood sugars were just all out of whack uh, and whatnot. And so they got me, uh, started me up on uh, insulin and all that, all that fun garbage, which I'm not a fan of needles by any means. And so having to learn to give myself shots and all that, it it just wasn't fun. <laughs> yeah. So were you? So you were 17. I was 17 when I got. I got type one diabetes. Did they think you had okay. type one? Cause they, they started you on insulin. What, what was that? What were they thinking at that time? Uh, basically that's what my dad was on. That's what my grandma was on. And they just kind of, kind of went with that. Um, they didn't try any pills or anything like that. It's just kind of what they went with. And, uh, they did say there was a, I, the, the bad part about doctors, they even back then, they didn't explain very well. They thought it was juvenile diabetes. It, it was type two, obviously, but they, you know, they didn't explain things very well. And so they got me on the insulin and all that, got my sugars back decently. But, you know, I was a 17 year old kid. I didn't take care of myself. I, you know, you think you're going to live forever. So. Um, yeah. But they, they, it's just, it's tough, you know, but they, I don't know, just a small town doctor. Uh, they just didn't, I don't know. I think doctors don't know. They don't teach people enough about the, the diabetes and stuff like that. Like, like I, I know more now following the fasting stuff and whatnot than I've ever known in my entire life on diabetes because I immersed myself and learned um where where the other people were just you know the doctors like oh you're gonna live with this the rest of your life and you're gonna take this the rest of your life and that's just the way it's gonna be yeah I wow that's a tough story I remember when I when I was 17 I got it and what exactly what you're saying you know not a lot was explained it was just like take these shots now I actually had type one and um I can't imagine what it was like you know having so you your pancreas was functioning to some extent did you right. ha, ha, at what point did you figure out that it was actually type 2 versus type 1 um i to be honest with you i don't really recollect when that was um basically um basically because if i took care of myself and ate right probably i don't know probably about 2008-ish uh, is when I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And um, my mom was always really into health stuff and whatnot and helped my dad out a lot, uh, getting down to just, just getting, eating better and eating the right, trying to eat the right things or what you think is the right things. And 
um, I had gotten off of the insulin for a while before and lost quite a bit of weight as well. And it just, it was just, I let it catch back up with me, unfortunately. But um, that's probably pretty much when I realized that I was type two because I'm like, okay, my body can, I'm producing insulin on my own uh, because my sugar was going, when I was eating properly, it was going low and it was, you know, being in normal ranges and I had it, you know, right in where it should be. And so, um, I don't know, yeah. young, young man, you think you're going to live forever and you do, you do dumb things. Well, and also you were, you were misdiagnosed. I mean, that must've been really, now that I'm thinking that through, like you were 17, which is really the time that you would most people would assume you had juvenile diabetes. So you've been, you were misdiagnosed at the time, treating it incorrectly, but you know, for many years, um, that, that must've, were you, were you overweight at the time when you were diagnosed or was that something yes, that happened Yes, later? ma'am. You were? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Yep. Um, I've always been, I was always a big guy, mm-hmm. even growing up and stuff. Cause like, I know I, I have a really good friend, Joe, uh, back up in Michigan that, is type one and he's on a pump and stuff like that and whatnot but he you know he was skinny as rail for a long time and stuff like that and so it's just like i I don't know one and one didn't equal two at the you know looking back at it and being like yeah they were not doing things properly and explaining things properly and necessarily diagnosing me right well, I'm sorry you had to go through that. That sounds pretty traumatic, actually, uh, as you were, you know, just coming of age and, you know, you were misdiagnosed and that must have been really terrible for you. So I'm, I'm sorry you had to go through all that. So you were on insulin, then at some point you got off insulin. And then I guess when you got off insulin, were you just really, you were trying really hard to lose weight, eating right, all that good stuff. And then you just sort of let it all go for a little while. And then you realize, oh, my pancreas is starting to, I, I, you know, the, the, the diabetes is starting to come back. Is that what happened? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I had, uh, went through kind of a crappy couple of years. I got diagnosed with a multiple sclerosis. Uh, my dad passed away and then, uh, my wife at the time left me. And, um, so it kind of just sucked. Uh, but the, uh, I got remarried, uh, in 2012, a few years later and stuff like that. And then it, I did, I did really well. And I had lost it almost a hundred pounds, which I've lost again now. So I've done that twice. You know, you think you'd learn from your past mistakes, but you know, but, uh, just, got into where I was eating stuff again and just being like, Oh, well, I'm fine. I'm fine. And one day I just wasn't feeling well and, uh, pulled out the blood sugar meter and yeah, I was up at like 300 and I'm like, yeah, that's why you feel like crap. And so, um, I had to start the insulin thing all over again. Oh, so they didn't put you. So the second go around, they knew you had type two. They knew you were not type one at that point because you were able to get off insulin for some period of time. And then they put you back on insulin or do they try you on metformin or something else first? No, I put myself back on insulin. 
Okay, because you knew you knew how it worked and you were comfortable. Yeah, I knew. That. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, okay. and I knew, and I knew I needed to get it down, obviously, because I was feeling like garbage, and so um, I just ran. And and a lot of people don't understand. You can go to Walmart and buy insulin, and you can buy needles without having to go through a doctor and getting a prescription and stuff. And I wanted to get it dropped down because I was feeling really, really bad. Yeah, you have sort of an interesting story because most people, well, obviously they thought you were type one for some period of time, which is why you even went down the road of insulin when you were 17. But like most people, when they get type two, obviously they get, they get put on metformin or Ozempic or a combination. And then right. if that stuff stops working, then they go on to insulin, but you like kind of went backward. And so you were, it's very interesting that that's how you feel comfortable being treated when you have high blood sugars, you'd rather have insulin versus some you know, an oral medication or, or Ozempic's right. not oral, but like metformin, for example. Right. Yeah. It's just kind of is what it is. There's, there's downfalls on both. Obviously insulin hardens your arteries and stuff. It's not necessarily good for you, but there's other, uh, I don't know. I don't remember off the top of my head what the side effects of like metformin and stuff are, but either way, the, the medications have, side effects and they they have they have their plus side don't get me wrong but they also have a downside as well yeah you're right i mean a lot of people don't tolerate those type 2 medications very well and they can't stay on them very long a lot of them will make you nauseous feel sick uh it's right. it is they are tough to tolerate but insulin's tough too because it can give you low blood sugars and there's no real good solution other than what you've been able to do now which is to you know change your diet fast and try to reverse your diabetes, which I want to get into in a second. But sure. do you remember what your A1C levels were, you know, at, at given points in time? Um, kind of, it's kind of just a blur, but I think at my highest point was just a little over 10. Okay. Okay. And that was after you had regained the weight maybe. And then, um, that was uh, before and stuff like that. So I was high when yeah. when they when I was first diagnosed. I was pretty high. It, it's been such a long time ago and stuff. I don't remember exactly what the number was, but I knew I knew it was high. Yeah. So when you were seventeen through the period when you actually got off insulin, were you going to the doctor every quarter or so and getting your A one C checked and basically, you know just managing with the insulin and is that kind of how you were doing things? No, I'm uh, I'm not a fan of doctors to begin with. Um, and so I, I wasn't, uh, I did go to the doctor, you know, maybe once a year or whatever and stuff like that. But um, I just, I, I didn't, you know what I mean? I, did, I wasn't being careful with myself. I tried to, you know, and I got lazy, you know, I wasn't checking my blood sugar and stuff like I should. I was eating garbage that I shouldn't in the, in the whole nine yards. It's just kind of one of them. I'm like, well, you, you kind of get an attitude of, well, I'm going to die when I'm going to die. So I might as well live. And, but you realize how unhealthy you feel and how big you've gotten. Cause at one point in time I was, 320 pounds. And how tall are you? Uh, about 6'2". Okay. 
And so, yeah, I mean, yeah, your story, I, I understand what you're saying, especially when you're younger and you have diabetes, you just, like you said earlier, you think you're invincible and that nothing can touch you. And, you know, and plus you're, you're angry that you have diabetes in the first place. So you yeah, like self-destructive behavior. I, you know, I've done the same thing, so I totally get it. But as you get older, yeah. you realize, oh, well, I, I have to make it through this lifetime with this one body. So I can't abuse it like that anymore. Otherwise, not only are you you're, you know, yeah, you're going to die when you're going to die, but like, you're going to be in such pain and discomfort while you're alive that it's not worth it anymore, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, I watched my grandmother go through it, um, because she, she ended up getting a CAT scan and they ran the dye through her veins and it shut her kidneys down and stuff like that because of, you know, she was in her late seventies or into her eighties. And, you know, from the damage from the diabetes and stuff, and she took really good care of herself. She she monitored her sugars really well and stuff. But even after that, you know, the time that she had damaged it and stuff, once it took that dye in the veins and stuff, it shut her kidneys down and it you know, ended up killing her. And um, that just, like, I don't want to go down that road. I want to just... I don't want to have to have my family watch me laying there sick and stuff like that. As you know, none of us do. Let's face it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard when you have family members that you can look to that have been through this and you just, you realize like what your future potentially looks like if you don't take care of yourself, I guess it's good and it's bad, but uh, yeah. I mean, up until I guess you found, well, you were able to lose a hundred pounds previously and then regained it. But I guess right. until you really found fasting and like a low carb lifestyle, you didn't really understand the tools that you needed to do this sustainably. Maybe you can take me through uh, a little bit of like, when, when did you decide, all right, this is it. I'm going to lose this hundred pounds again. I'm going to really take my health back. I want to reverse this diabetes, like enough of this. When did that happen? Um, that happened right uh, some time in the spring of, uh, 2021 um i just went through some life stuff and whatnot that um just kind of sucked and i am this way i either when i'm upset about something i'm one or one of two ways i either eat or i don't and my mom had been following fung there um dr jason fung and looking at the fasting stuff and whatnot and i just kind of went into a bad frame of mind and i was like you know i just i didn't eat i didn't eat for like a week i was just wasn't hungry and was like yeah life's kind of crappy right now got through that and i'm like well hey i actually feel pretty good after this and uh kind of got more info on on uh, Dr. Fung and started watching YouTube videos and stuff and you know just kind of immersed myself in learning and kind of being like okay like one of the biggest things that going to doctors my whole life I never understood and I don't think a lot of people do what insulin actually does it's a it's a fat storage device, basically. You know what I mean? It. You think, oh, insulin is just—it's there to lower your blood sugar. Yeah, it does, but it, 
it's taking it out of your blood, but it has to put it somewhere. And so then when you learn that, you're just like, oh my gosh, why was I not taught this when I was 17 years old? You know, why can't doctors, you know, it's the KISS principle, keep it simple, stupid. And why, why can't they do that? And yeah. it's just, they, they make everything complicated. I, I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of doctors aren't quite on board yet, or they don't know about this stuff as much yet, but I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, especially for type two, type one, two fasting is very useful for maintaining steady or blood sugars. Obviously type one can never be reversed, but for type two, especially, right. you know, you can use fasting to, to reverse it along with a, you know, a lower carb diet. It can be totally done. And, and you're right. It's disappointing. A lot of times the medical care you get uh, from your doctors is just not where it should be. So I agree with you. Yeah, ex exactly. They just want to, uh, unfortunately, sell drugs. And that's just the way it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not all of them, but a lot of them. Yeah. And they don't have a lot of time to spend with patients and they're rushed. And unfortunately, drugs are just the easiest, quickest answer to a lot of these problems. And I think a lot of patients want drugs. They don't want to put in the hard work because it is hard work to start fasting and change your diet. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of like mental strength that comes with that. And not everybody has that. Oh yeah. And I was, I was talking with my mom the other day. I am uh, just kind of going over the, the past year and a half or whatever of where I started and, you know, started keto and stuff like that, low, low carb and everything. And I still, you know, would, things that I necessarily shouldn't but you know it was starting down that path and everybody's like it's it's a process you have to get there you're gonna fail you know but uh, failure is an event not a lifestyle and so you just keep going and you you're like okay yeah I failed I messed up there but you you, you, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you do it again and so you just keep keep moving forward but it's amazing for me how much um looking back how much my diet has changed and i don't miss stuff like i went from keto and then technically got into ketovore and now i'm pretty much i'm carnivore i don't eat vegetables i don't eat carbs that's pretty much meat and it, i feel so amazing and it's just i don't i don't know why they they don't put this out for people it's like oh my gosh it's like a hidden gem that you found and you want to share it with everybody because it you just feel so awesome on it how did you so you started with keto uh so mm -hmm. one and a half years ago when you started when you started fasting did you immediately change your diet or did that come later um no i pretty much immediately changed it um i had done the year before that, I had done keto for a while, and I felt good on it, and I knew it had kept my sugars in check and stuff better. And so I'm like, well, if I'm, you know, I started out, I went a week without eating, just because there was said my life was stressful at that time, and I'm like, I just didn't want to eat. And so I went that whole week, and I'm like, well, you know, when I get back into I'm like okay I'm gonna eat now I just kind of went back into the 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 keto thing and more low low carb I you know I kept it under 20 carbs a day 
and uh you know did stuff like broccoli salad and uh, did my meat and stuff like that obviously and whatnot just kind of started there and then it was just a slow progression from there it's like okay as i learned more and read more and followed different folks on uh on youtube and stuff like that like dr uh ken barry is one of my favorites that i follow and uh he he's kind of my i'd like to meet the guy someday because he's kind of redneck like i am i guess but um, <laughs> i like him too he's good <laughs> yeah he, he is good but the i don't know and so it, it just it was a slow progression into into the carnivore lifestyle and stuff like that and realizing my a good friend of mine that i grew up with my best friend up back up home in michigan he this is the same way he lost a bunch of weight and stuff too and he pretty much is just a lot of meat carnivore type stuff as well but um basically he's like we we both came to the conclusion we were talking and he i'm like you know you can't he's like you can't out work out a bad diet you just can't you know and so it's just like with him he drank mountain dew like crazy to where he was figured it out one day he was drinking like a gallon of mountain dew a day and so it was it was a lot and he's like yeah no wonder i'm fat it's just you know you're drinking all that sugar yeah that'll do it for sure so uh you change your diet you're on your carnivore now ha- have you been i saw uh in some pictures that you had a, a libre continuous glucose monitor on are you yeah. are you checking your how over time obviously when we were both diagnosed in 1997 i assume that's when you were also diagnosed if you were 17 we're the same age 1997 yeah. you know the the ability to check your blood sugar has gotten better and better and better. When did you right. get on the continuous glucose monitor? I think I got on that um, in like 2019 or 2020, if I remember right. Um, and I liked it a lot um, and whatnot. It just it was so much better than having to prick your finger or your arm every three times a day and all that garbage and so it's just kind of yeah you still have to prick yourself a little bit when especially when you first started up and stuff like that but just to double check and make sure that it's not crazy or whatever but yeah I, I, it, it made my it makes your life so much easier getting the uh the glucose monitor thing the cgm was freaking awesome because it also showed me when you eat this it's making your sugar do this and you know it's making it go up or it's you know not affecting it hardly at all when you eat this and when you eat this you're going you're going up and you're going up quickly and it's just a wonderful great tool i believe um to, for people to learn you know how how things are affecting their their blood sugar yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I think, you know, everybody that's type one, uh, you, you know, they, a lot of, not everybody, but a lot of people that have access to a continuous glucose monitor, assuming their insurance pays for it are on, are on one because yeah, the information is vital, but I don't think as many people that are type two are on a continuous glucose monitor. They may check their blood sugar in the morning when they wake up and then maybe not again the entire day, but 
you're right. The, the ability to see the trends and what certain foods and certain activities will do to your blood sugar. It's so, so important. And I've actually had two people in my life uh, fairly recently be diagnosed with prediabetes or type two diabetes. And I told okay. them just get on the continuous glucose monitor for three months, you know, just, just try it so that you can see what everything is doing to you. And if you decide you don't want to keep doing it after that point, so be it. But at the very least, you can understand in that three month period, like, oh, wow, this will do this to my blood sugar. That will do this to my blood sugar. And it's just such key information. Cause if you just prick your finger once a day, or you only get your A1C tested at your doctor's office, you really can't see those are point in time measurements. You can't see what certain things are doing to your blood sugar. So I'm really glad you brought that up. That's super important. Yeah. And my, my mom did that. She got on she couldn't get it through her insurance or anything, but she found a place Then she can, it was X amount of money and you got six months worth of the CGMs and whatnot. And she, cause she was, they, the, her doctor was um, prescribed, not prescribing her, but diagnosing her was, she was getting into the, she was pre-diabetic just over the line. And, uh, so she's like, it's amazing when you have that and you eat the stuff and you check it. And you, at first you kind of get addicted. You're always grabbing your phone and checking it and checking it. And you're like, oh, what's it doing now? What's it doing now? And she, she's like, I learned so much from that, that when I eat this, my sugar goes up. When I eat this, it stays stable. And she's like, that, that alone was worth the money invested uh, to, to get the knowledge on that. Yeah, 100%. And even if you're type two and you're listening to this and you don't want to have a continuous glucose monitor for forever, that's fine. Just do it for three months and see what you can learn. And then if it's expensive, I get it. Like you could stop after that period, but at least, you know, what your, what your body is reacting to. And I think it's just super important. So are you still using the CGM now? I am. Uh, I haven't had one in for about a week and a half right now. Just give my arm a break, but um, I still check it. I check in my uh, blood a couple times a day anyway, but because I'm kind of, let's face it, we're creatures of habit, but I'm such on a normal habit of what I do and how I eat and stuff like that, that I know pretty much this is what it will do you know what i mean uh and then like right now i'm fasting usually i like the past this is my third week on it um i've been starting fasting at sunday night um you know around four to five o'clock i'll have my last meal and then i go till i go till friday at noon to two o'clock in the afternoon um and then i'll then I'll re uh, refeed uh, for the weekend, and then that's just kind of what I do. But I, I mean, I switch it up quite a bit. Um, for a long time, I was doing three forty-two hour fasts a week. Sometimes I was doing, you know, two forty-eight hour fasts, or you know, three thirty-six hours. I just, I just switch it up, keep my body guessing. And what, what is your goal now? Because you, your last A1C, what, what was it? It was 6.1. Is that right? It, yeah. 6.1. And that was checked like pretty recently, right? Yeah. Like last week. 
Yeah. So we're in November now, like early November. So, okay. Uh, Your, your episode will come out in January. So I'm just giving everybody a a frame of reference here, but so you, so you, you, you've done, you do a lot of like, I guess, extended fasting. You, you're describing a five day fast. That's what your protocol is now with refeeding on the weekend. Right. And, but you've done various 48 hours, 36, whatever other fasting lengths you were doing. What is your, what is your goal right now? Cause I saw some pictures of you You look like you're in pretty good shape now. Oh, thank you. Um, I I still got a little bit of weight to lose. Um, like my arms and legs and stuff are pretty much where they should be. Uh, I just got a little bit of belly fat yet that I want to get rid of, but my, for the most part, that's kind of a secondary side effect of I, my goal, because I, you know, I've went from diabetic to pre-diabetic with my A1C and my goal is to be normal and not anything. You know what I mean? And so that's, that's my next goal. I literally have about a half a point on my A1C to drop down and I'll be in the normal range. That's incredible. Really, yeah. truly. I'm so and amazed. Espe- especially especially when you're 17 years old and you're sitting there in shock with a doctor telling you, you will take this medication and you will deal with this the rest of your life. That is a that crappy thing to hear when you're 17 years old. And so yeah. it's just kind of, you know, it's like, wow, my whole world just fell apart. And so that's what they tell you because they don't, they didn't have the, inf- I guess they didn't have the information back then of, oh, well, you're just going to deal with it. Take this med. And they don't, they didn't, they didn't find the underlying problem. They just want to, they just had a medication to stop the sugars from being really high and stuff like that. And it's like, okay, <laughs> cool, but like, let's find out what the true problem in the fact of the matter that it, why it's doing this. You know what else I think is really interesting about your story is that there's a lot of interesting parts, but the fact that you were 17 when you were misdiagnosed and you know, you're 42 now and you're your pancreas still had the ability to repair itself and, you know, or your, your insulin absorption, your insulin sensitivity was able to come back to a point where you're now in the, the pre-diabetic range from a period where your A1C had been as high as 10. I think that's really amazing. And that's really a good testament for people that are scared. Like, Oh, have I permanently ruined my body uh, from my diet? No, you haven't actually for, I mean, I don't know, not, everybody, everybody will have a little bit of a different story, but most likely if you're type two, you haven't permanently damaged your body to the point where you can't repair it. Yeah, exactly. And that's where the autophagy comes in. Um, you know, you're, they, that's what a lot of the times too, uh, that's why I try to do at least 72 hours when I fast, because that's when the, your insulin levels are at the lowest and that's when you're, kicking in the, the autophagy kicks in i think between it'll start at like 24 and it'll get stronger and stronger as you go and so when i do that i know that yeah i might be like oh my gosh i would love to eat a hamburger right now but i'm like but i the benefits are outweighing everything and so mm-hmm. it's just kind of the 
kind of the way it is. It's getting in that. And a lot of folks have troubles with it at first, but it's not going to happen overnight. You know, I've been doing this for a year and a half. Um, don't expect it to happen overnight because it's not going to. Now, you'll have days and stuff where it's fast or they call it the, what do they call it, whooshing. And the first time yeah. that I had that happen because I, with the MS, I have to intermittently catheter myself um, six to seven times a day. And it used to be doing that, you deal with UTIs quite a bit. And to where I would get UTIs two to three times a year. And it sucks because if I got them, it'd get bad, I'd get fever, and then I'd be in the hospital. That's just not fun at all. Um, but since, since I've started on this and whatnot, um, it's been almost two years now since I've had a UTI. Wow, that's great. So you're realizing some other health benefits. And the other thing too is with, well, I want to talk about your MS too, because that's sure. another health issue that you're facing. And it's obviously very serious. And I don't, are you able to work out as much as you like with the MS or what is your, what's your status with MS? Um, with the MS, I'm in a wheelchair. Um, I, you know, don't walk anymore and stuff like that. Um, but I do, I have an incumbent machine and um i use that right now i'm up to 35 minutes a day i was up to um 45 minutes a day and getting four miles uh, every day but the uh right now i'm right at about three miles a day uh at 35 minutes um and then the uh but i also have just recently pumped up the resistance on the machine and so you just you're getting you get you get stronger and stronger and stronger and it's amazing because like i picked myself up to adjust myself in my wheelchair the other day and i'm like oh my gosh that was so easy it's like it just slowly slowly adds up uh in one so yeah i try to stay most mostly uh monday through friday i do my exercise um some days i miss you know obviously life happens but uh, for the most part you know, four to five days a week. Uh, I do that and getting right now, getting about three miles a day. That's great. And you know what else is your, you're also proving another point you've lost a hundred pounds. How much have you lost from when you started a year and a half ago? Do you think? I, I'm guessing 80 to hundred pounds just because obviously it's kind of hard to weigh myself. Yeah. But like you, so you've been able to lose all this weight primarily through fasting and diet. It hasn't really been you you haven't been able to exercise maybe as strenuously as you would have prior to MS and you were still able to lose the weight. Right. Yeah. Cause I did, I, in all honesty, um, I didn't, uh, get my incumbent machine, uh, until, uh, December of last year. And I had lost a ton of weight before that. And so, uh, I've only had, you know, roughly have had this thing about a year and whatnot. And so, it's helped quite a bit with the weight loss and getting the mobility and the strength and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, you could, you don't, not to make people be lazy or whatever, but you don't necessarily have to exercise to lose a bulk of weight at first. You just don't. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's one of the things that, um, you know, we, it's these things we keep hearing over and over again, like in order to lose weight, you need diet and exercise, diet and exercise. And people feel like, oh, well, if I can't do the exercise component, then there's just no way I'm going to lose weight. But you're right. Actually, you, you know, a lot, most of your weight will be lost through fasting and diet. And like for somebody like you that has issues with mobility, you know, you don't have to feel like all hope is lost because you can still do it. Yeah, exactly. Cause that's like, you're like, oh, I can't do anything. And like people, you, that can, and I'm not prone to depression. You know, everybody gets depressed a little bit in their life, but you know, I'm pretty type A personality and I'm, you know, pretty upbeat type person or whatever. But, you know, when you're looking at that stuff, you're like, oh, well, I can't do this and I can't do that. No, you can do it. How bad do you want it? Yeah. Yeah. It's all about, it's all about mindset. I think, uh, fasting in general and well, and changing your diet too, because you, you have to kind of just say to yourself, I'm putting my health first and yes, I may be uncomfortable for a period of time and I have to push through whatever hunger I have at the beginning. Like maybe you can describe you since you do so many long fasts, when you went into fasting, you said you were sad for a week and you just kind of forgot to eat essentially. Right. But when right. you, when you recovered and you, you weren't fasting out of sadness or depression and you were fasting because you were trying to get your health back, did you find it hard at all to do? Um, not necessarily at first, um, because I was doing, I would start simple with like 30 hour fasts or whatever. Um, it just kind of, it just kind of varied at first. I was all excited about it and my blood sugar was dropping tremendously and I was feeling good. And so that kind of just pumped me up a little bit and gave me motivation. Um, but sometimes, and then it got to the point where I'm like, okay, um, now it's like right now, I think I'm 43 hours in right now. Um, but anymore nowadays, if I'm going to get hungry, it's between the 24 and 32 hour neck of the woods. And you're just like, even though I'm technically not really hungry, it's just like, you get that craving at that time and you, you just kind of fight it at first. No, because I was all excited and I, you know, cause I, I I'll be honest with you, I went from a size 46 waist pants to um, now I'm almost into a 36. Wow. 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 Yeah. And incredible. So, yeah. And so it, it adds up and I went from, you know, like a three to a four X shirt to now I'm in an extra large and it's starting to get baggy. And so, yeah. And so and that stuff's kind of exciting too. So when you look back at those things, it just kind of pumps you up and you're like, okay, I can do this. I can keep going. Uh, and whatnot. But yeah, you're going to have days where you're just like, ah, eh, whatever. There's sometimes that I'll be like, yeah, I'm, I'll do the one meal a day thing. Um, just because I'm like, man, I just don't want to fast this week. And that's okay too. It just, you're just kind of watching, still watching what you eat and still eating what you should in your, and you're in in the window of hey we're gonna i'm only gonna eat one meal a day i'm gonna eat we're gonna have like a three hour window where i'll eat and eat my meal and then i'll be done 
Yeah, that's important. And I, you said something earlier, and I'm going to misquote you. So correct me if I'm wrong. You said failure is an event, not a lifestyle. Is that right, what you said? Yes, ma'am. That is a John Maxwell quote. I love it. And I mean, even if you, it's not really a failure if you decide, oh, I want to have, I want to do one meal a day today versus I was in the middle of a 48 hour fast, for example, and I just feel like I can't make it and I'll just stop and I'll do a one, I'll eat my meal and then I'll get back on track. I have um, one of my friends that was diagnosed with, with prediabetes. She's struggling okay. to stay on track and, and she just keeps beating herself up. Like I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not keeping to the diet I'm supposed to be keeping to. And I just tell her, just don't keep beating yourself up. It's, you can still do it. Just get back up and, and start, start again. You know, there's no reason to just assume that you can't do it because you got off track for a little while. It's not the end of the world. And yeah, I think you're telling and, me the same thing. Yeah. Cause you get in that mental mind frame, let's face it. Your own worst enemy is yourself when it comes to inside your head, because you're just like, Oh, well, you know, I, in over time when I lost the weight before and would do things, you're like, Oh, well, I don't usually eat this, but I, you know, I screwed up today and I ate that. So I'm just going to eat some more of that. Or I'm going to, you know, well, I can eat this because I already screwed up for today. No, admit that you screwed up and stop and just start over, you know, go back to your, your fasting routine or whatever it is. You just have to kind of, it's kind of a mental game, if you will. Yeah, no, that's perfectly stated. Uh, that's that's how you have to do it. And we're all human beings. And sometimes we have better days than other days. And you just have to accept that. And like you said, if you you know mess up a little bit or you don't eat the way you wanted to eat, just stop and say, all right, well, from here on out, I'm going to go back to what I was doing that was getting me healthy. And I'm going to continue that way. I'm not going to beat myself up for what happened five minutes ago exactly i look at it this way i'm not perfect god will forgive me so you know it's just the way it is pick it up move forward well and you're a testament to the fact that yes maybe you have some days where you're not as perfect as you want to be and yet you still have lost 80 to 100 pounds you still have you're still very close to having reversed your type 2 diabetes so all of that stuff it doesn't require absolute perfection. It just requires that for a majority of the time you do what, what you intend to do. Exactly. It's kind of like these big bulky bodybuilders and stuff like that. It's what you do every day for the bulk of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, they do stuff that they probably shouldn't. I mean, you know, I don't do it very often anymore. I do like to have a beer once in a while, but it's like, I had some buddies in my neighbor, they had them out the other day and they're like, Hey, you want one? And I'm like, you know, that sounds good, but you know what? I'm just, I'm good. I can deal without it. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask you something, if I could just bring the discussion back a little bit to the insulin. So you were on insulin a year and a half ago when you started fasting and changing your diet aggressively, how, how long did it take you to phase out the insulin and how did you know you needed to do it? Basically, um, basically a year ago, this last July, um, that's when I quit insulin. Um, basically, I was dropping 
I was taking insulin and you know I was dropping the dose of it and stuff as well. So I kept taking it and getting my sugar kind of planing out, if you will. But the um, it, it got to the point where I was dropping into you know the 60s and stuff like that, which I can do nowadays. It doesn't bother me. But back then, you're shaking. You can't hardly. I, I it was so bad that I could hardly prick my arm to check my sugar or prick my finger because I was shaking so bad. Um, and that sucks. And that's just a crappy feeling. Um, and so basically I just finally was talking with my mom and stuff. Cause she, you know, dealt with my dad on insulin and say my grandma deal with it and stuff too. She's like, you, you need to, to either cut it way, way back again, or you need to quit. And um, I just finally about three or four times to where I was dropping in the basement uh, and shaking and going really, really low and stuff like that. I'm like, okay, um, I'm going to go for a week without taking it just to see what's happening. And it just kind of evened out and planed out. And I, you know, yeah, there were sometimes I might get in the 150 neck of the woods or whatever, but it would come right back down and stuff like that. And as I kept going, it got lower and lower and lower and lower and lower. And I wasn't having to deal with the sugar crashes and stuff like that. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. The lows that you get from an insulin, like an injected insulin versus the insulin that your body produces are totally different. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know the feeling very, very, very well of the insulin low. I mean, it happens to me, you know, it's happened to me thousands of times in my life at this point. And I'm sure the same is for you since you run insulin for so long, just that shaking feeling and just, you, you feel the bottom falling out from under you. But I think, and I can't remember it as well, because I haven't had a functioning pancreas since I was 17, but I do think I had issues with some hypoglycemia when I was, or lower blood sugars before I got type right. one. And it definitely has a different feel to it. It's something that's like, it's not as like urgent, if, if you know what I mean. Right. Yeah. It's uh, cause like I checked um, before I broke my fast last week, um, I had checked my sugar and, um, and I was just checking my blood because I had given my arm a rest on the CGM and stuff, whatever. But we, I was 59. And if that would have happened, Five years ago, I'd have been like freaking out, like trying to shove candy down my throat because it was just, it just, just crappy feeling. In all honesty, you feel weak and you don't feel like you're in control. You can't, uh, like me, my hands will start shaking and you can't hardly grab anything. And so when it was like 59, I'm like, wow. And I, I felt great. I felt normal. I'm like, I, I can live with that. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's a different feeling. And, and you know that your blood sugar is not going to go from 59 to 30, which it could easily do if you're, if you have insulin, because the insulin doesn't, it's not smart. It doesn't know. It just drops you because you injected it. So yeah, I mean, exactly. when you take too much, it's just, that's just too bad. You've got to eat something. There's just no way around it. It's not going to figure out that, oh, that's too much. Let's, uh, let's scale back a little bit. No, it, you got to, yeah. you got to deal with it. But with your own body, it, it, it knows how to regulate better. And are you exactly. still experiencing those lower blood sugars or are you pretty, pretty normal these days? Pretty steady. Look, uh, pretty steady. Um, you once in a great while, um, 
frustrates me a little bit sometimes. I was talking with my mom about it the other day, and she's like, she read some stuff, I think with Fung or, or whoever it was, that it can happen when I lose in weight, when I'm burning fat and stuff, once in a while, my sugar might shoot up to 150, 160 and stuff like that. And I'm like, why? I haven't eaten anything. What the heck is going on? And then I seen a uh, video from uh, Dr. Barry the other day. And he's like, yeah, you know, you're burning fat off that you stored. God only knows how long ago, how many years ago. What were you eating at that time? Because you're going to have toxins and you're going to have other things in there that are that are coming out and stuff like that. So that messes with me a little bit uh, once in a while, but it's not stupid crazy like I'm shooting up to 200 or something like that. It's just raising. It was like it'd be like 140, 150. I'm like, why is it that? There's there's no reason I haven't eaten anything. And so you just try to wrap your mind around it or whatever and figure it out. But but I kind of just came to the conclusion, look, your A1C is doing good. It's coming down. You're, you're all right, man. Yeah, and actually, it's not, it could be other things too. It could be that, what which Dr. Barry was talking about. Or it could be like, for me, like if I'm entering a stressful situation, my blood sugar will go yeah. up you know, if I drink something that has caffeine in it, even if it's doesn't have any carbs, if it's like a coffee or something, my blood sugar will go up. If I'm nervous, right. my blood sugar will go up. Like it, it doesn't even have to be food related necessarily. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like the same thing too is the, um, yeah. When you're stressed, it'll go up. Um, the, uh, my mom was saying that she works for a lawyer company doing the book work. And she's like, yeah, if I'm stressed, she's like, I would watch that CGM and my sugar will go up a little bit. I'm like, oh, yeah, it makes sense. And then the same thing with me. If I'm burning a fever or have an infection, let's say, um, my sugar will go up from that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you could be sick. I mean, there's a million reasons why your blood sugar could go up that's uh, unrelated to food. And the really important thing is, is that by and large, you check your blood sugar and it's in a normal range and you, you are going to get these weird even people that don't have diabetes or blood sugar can go up to 150. Like if they eat a pizza or something like that, they can, I I've seen CGM graphs from normal, you know, people that don't have diabetes and they also get these periodic spikes, but it's not the end of the world. The thing is, is that they normalize down at, you know, right. 80 to like hundred or whatever their, their normal is, or even 70, what, whatever, whatever their pancreas does for them, they normalize out. Even if they have like these spikes where they're up a little high for half an hour, an hour, it's not, it's yeah, not anything exactly. super concerned about. Well, yeah, and you just don't know, okay, maybe at that point, like I've noticed a lot of times you think just from normal stuff you hear that, oh, if you go exercise, it'll lower your blood sugar. Sometimes when I exercise, you check your CGM or go check your blood and it'll go up a little bit because you're burning energy and your body needs energy. It needs the glucose for the energy. It's going to get it from fat stores. And so, Hey, yeah, you just provided a bunch of energy for your body because you're working out. Absolutely. Yeah. It, the different types of exercises will have a different effect on your blood sugar and you're hundred percent, right. If you do something that's high intensity, your blood sugar is going to go up. Whereas if you do something like you walk around the block, that will bring your blood sugar down. It's, and that's another plug for a continuous glucose monitor is you can actually see 
what different exercises have, you know, the impact they have on your blood sugar. Cause it's not always, if you exercise, your blood sugar will come down. In fact, that's not true at all. Certain exercises will lower it. Certain exercises will bring it up. Yeah. And it just amazes me when it, looking back over my life and knowing about diabetes, because I watched my dad, you know, from the time I was a young boy, go through it. I remember he had the old school way of checking your glucose was this like microscope looking thing that you held up to your eye and you put some urine on it and you checked it and stuff like that and like all this crazy kind of stuff. And so to see where it's gone from then till now in the different misconceptions that people have, it's like, yeah, it's like, oh, if you exercise, it's going to drop it down. Well, no, if you go run down the street as fast as you can, it's more than likely going to go up because your body needs energy. Absolutely. That high intensity exercise will definitely bring your, your, your blood sugar up. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's, 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 there's so much to learn when you have diabetes and it can seem overwhelming, but the CGM will help you get there because you can just see it real time when you're actually eating those things or doing those certain exercises, you can see how it, how it acts in your body. Um, exactly. Kind of evens everything out. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I could talk to you all day long, Andrew, you have such an interesting story, but we're about to come up on time. And I want to okay. just ask you, I, I, you've had a lot of hardship in your life and you've overcome a lot. And I, I just want to ask you, cause I think a lot of people, you know, have, have had sort of similar experiences, maybe not in the exact same way that you have, but, but similarly, how, how, how do you, how do you keep yourself going every day? What do you, what kind of advice do you have for somebody that is maybe newly pre-diabetic or type two, and they want to start reclaiming their health? Like what, what, what advice, general advice do you have for people? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, you know, for one, I give God all the glory. I'm a Christian man myself. Um, and, you know, I can't do it on my own. Uh, stuff like that. But you just, you got to keep going. You know, life, life gives you lemons. You squeeze them puppies and you make lemonade. That's just the way it is. It's just kind of try to, and granted, you know, I'm not positive all the time. Everybody has their days and their moments. You know, you wake up and you're like, oh, you're mad at the world and you're pissed off at everything. But like, my thing is, is that you have to just kind of, for me, it's just kind of, I want to live life. You know, same thing with the MS. I, I went on, um, the internet when they said they, oh, you probably have MS and blah, blah, blah. And you read a bunch of stories and I read a story about a guy's mom that had MS. She laid in bed for 10 years and died. And I just kind of was like, you know, I'll be damned if I do that. And so I'm going to live life. That's just the way it is. And so you just, it's, it's a choice. And, and I understand everybody has different, um, different, feelings on that and stuff like that and whatever but you just you just got to keep plugging forward yeah you sometimes you just get kicked in the teeth but you just you got to keep moving forward 
Yeah, I love that advice. And I really love your attitude because that's really what propels you forward. If you if you find yourself in a bad situation and anybody who's listening to this podcast, you and I have experienced it, both of us, you know, you've got to just get yourself back up and just keep moving forward. You can't, you can't just lay there and just give up, you know, you've got to keep going. And yeah, you can't that. just lay there and die type deal. And it's just kind of, just kind of one of them deals and all, you know, I won't do that. So yeah, I'm, my life's not perfect and I'm not perfect and I'm not in perfect shape or anything like that. But, you know, being in a wheelchair and stuff like that, I do a lot more than people that can walk and do normal things because I choose to. It's You, you have to make that choice and you have to move forward. Wow. I really love your attitude and your view of the world. And I, I, I just, I'm like really honored to have spoken to you for this time. And I, I really have enjoyed hearing your story. So thank you so much. Yeah, no, thank, thank y'all for having me. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure when you, when you got a hold of me, I was like, hey, what? That's kind of like floored. Like why would she want to talk to me? But, you know, I look at it this way, if I can, if I can help other folks out, awesome. Yeah, and I'm sure you did with your story. So thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, don't forget to rate and review the podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest, please email me at fastlifewithdiabetes@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thanks so much. Have a great day.